Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Northridge Church. Glad you are here. And uh, as it's already been said, if you didn't quite catch it, this is the first Sunday of Advent, which means it's the first day in the Advent season or the Christmas season where we prepare ourselves to celebrate the birth of our hope in this life, in this world the birth of Jesus. And so we simply call it Christmas, I understand, but that is what this day begins. It's that season where we are celebrating, we're ready, and we're preparing for the coming of Jesus, for the birth of Jesus. So um, one thing when you think about the Christmas season, one thing that you hear and you see all over the place is the word peace, right? You see it everywhere. For example, I took a picture of one of the ornaments on our tree in my home, and this is what it says on it. We actually, this is not the only one. There's several ornaments. They say peace. Uh, if you've noticed, we, uh, a lot of you had purchased uh, Northridge signs for this season, and one of the signs simply says peace on it. All right? Christmas and peace seem to be synonymous, don't they? They tend to go together. We hear a lot and we see the word peace all the time at Christmas time. But if we were going to be honest, I wonder if not just in the Christmas season, but throughout the last couple of years, maybe just in life in general, how many of you realize, man, it seems like peace is hard to find? Have you noticed? We seem to be in a severe drought, a severe lack of peace in our world these days. And so today, the question that I have is this. Is peace, is true peace, perfect peace, even possible in our world today? Is it possible for you? Is it possible and is it available to you? Is peace possible in our world today? Well, as you would probably guess, you probably know what my answer is to that. My answer would be, yes, it is. And what I want to do is I want to spend today talking about how. How is peace possible for you? How is God's peace, how is the perfect peace of God available to you? How do we experience it? How do we find it? So that's what I want to talk about today. And today is also the beginning of a brand new series called Peace. Now, we didn't say peace, we said peace. We put a question mark on the end of the word peace because it seems like of all times in history, but certainly at Christmas time, it seems like peace is hard to find. And so the question we want to answer in this month, we're going to be in this series for one month, is where is peace? How do we experience it? How do we find it? And today, as I said, we want to answer that question, is it even possible? And so, today we're going to start where we should start for Advent. We're going to start with the birth of Jesus. I'm not going to spend a long time on it, but I'm going to start there. So I'm going to be in the book of Luke, and we're going to talk about what happens right after Jesus is born and placed in the manger, in the feeding trough, as Laura so eloquently said. Right? So when Jesus was born, placed in the manger, what was the next thing that happened? Do you remember what happened? 
God sent a whole host of angels into the middle of the night out to a field to some shepherds that were watching over their sheep, right? Scared them like crazy, right? But the angel came out. What did the angel say? The angel said, hey, don't be afraid. I'm bringing good news. It's okay. And then he said, today, the Messiah, Jesus, the Messiah has been born to you in the town of David in, in Bethlehem. And then, do you remember what happens next? After the angel announced that, then the whole host of angels came out. If the shepherds weren't scared before, now they are. And so the whole host of angels come out, and then they say in one unified voice, all together, this is really cool, Luke chapter 2, verse 14, they all say together, glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth to those, to the people with whom God is pleased. Peace on earth. Is it even real? Peace on earth. Well, in order to answer the question, is it even possible, I want to take you back hundreds of years before Jesus was ever born. I want to take you back to an Old Testament book, the book of Isaiah. And the prophet Isaiah, in there, he is writing pretty much what mostly what Isaiah talks about and writes about in his book are promises that God is making that will come true later. Okay? It's promises that God is saying, I can do this, watch for this. And one of those promises Isaiah writes about in chapter 26, verse 3, and I want to read this for you. It's a promise, it's Isaiah writing on behalf of God, about God, to the people, to the people of Israel, but to you and I as well. So it's a promise from God to you. Listen to what Isaiah writes. He writes, you, that's God, will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. Perfect peace. Peace that passes all understanding. Peace that cannot go away. It's not broken. It doesn't fade. Now, here's the thing. I, I may know what you're thinking. I know what I'm thinking. And my, what my thought is, I am way more familiar, way more experienced with not perfect peace. I am way more familiar with inconsistent peace in my life. I'm way for, more familiar with my kids were playing fine one minute ago. Now they can't get along and it's World War III and now I have to be involved. My peace is gone. My peace, I'm more familiar with the kind of peace that I'm good until somebody cuts me off in traffic. And then I don't know what you do when somebody cuts you off in traffic, but I immediately have the holy moment where I go, go in peace. Thank you for slowing me down. <laughs> if you believe that, you will believe anything I say. <laughs> and that's not good, right? No, that's not true. That's, that's a lie. I don't have that thought because it's fleeting because I get angry. And sometimes I say out loud when I'm thinking, my family knows this, and I, use, I don't swear, but I do say mean things about the person that cut us off. I'm like, oh, thank you. You're so dumb that you can't even see the car behind you or something like that. 
I am way, I don't know if you can, if you, can you relate to me here on this? I am way more familiar with peace that goes away, that is fleeting, that is broken, that is not consistent, and way, 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 totally not perfect. That's the kind of peace that I am familiar with. But that's not the kind of peace that Isaiah is talking about, that God promises to us. That's not the peace he's talking about. Because what we know is true. You can have money in the bank, but no peace in your heart. Right? It's true. You can have a marriage and a house to live in, but no peace in your home. I know I'm touching on nerves now. You can have a job and lots of friends and a paycheck and whatever else, but no peace in your life. Why? Because you haven't leaned, you haven't given yourself to the peace of God, the peace that God offers. Now it's interesting, in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew language, there is a specific word for peace. Do you know what that word is? Uh, so, some of you are like right away, but a lot of you maybe are not with me. As soon as I say it, you're going to be like, oh, I knew that word. Uh, yes, you did. As soon as I say it, there's a Hebrew word, it means peace. You know what it is? Shalom, right? You've heard this many times, right? Now, we throw it around all the time. Shalom, 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 right? But what does shalom mean? Well, you see it right in front of you. Shalom means wholeness. W-H-O-L, to be whole. It means to be complete. It means the fullness of peace. It's not fleeting. It's not broken. It's complete peace, it's the kind of peace that you get when you know you're right with God and God is right with you. It does not have anything to do with things that are going around you, the things that are happening to you. It has actually nothing to do with that because it doesn't, it, it, it's in spite of that. It's perfect peace. It's shalom. It's whole. It's complete it's, it's the kind of peace that you have that dispels, it pushes out shame. Do you realize that you can't have shame and experience God's peace at the same time because God's peace dispels, it's the very antithesis of shame. It's the very antithesis of that. God's peace pushes out and destroys shame. It's makes you whole, makes you complete. In fact, this is interesting, but in the original Hebrew language, again, of course, I read it in English just a moment ago, but in the original Hebrew, it was written, Isaiah cha uh, chapter 26, verse 3, was written in Hebrew, and in the original Hebrew language, it does not say, God will keep in perfect peace. It says this. Now, I'm not going to say it in all the Hebrew because I don't know about you, but I know Hebrew, but I have to look it up because I'm not fluent in Hebrew. You understand. Right? I can't go to Israel and have a conversation with somebody. Right? And so I'm not going to read it out. But it says, God will keep in, and then it says this in Hebrew, shalom, shalom. It says the word peace two times in a row next to each other with nothing in between. It says, God will keep in, shalom, shalom, peace, peace. Now, why did it not say that? Why didn't we translate it that way? Well, I don't know about you, but if I'm reading my Bible and I'm going along, it says, you will keep in peace, peace. And somebody would be like, somebody messed up. Somebody translated the Bible wrong. 
Peace, peace doesn't make any sense. You don't get peace, peace, right? Unless you're like Yoda or somebody like peace, peace, you know. It, it doesn't make sense. And so we had to translate it in a way that makes sense to us. And so we translated it perfect peace. But the word is actually shalom, shalom, peace, peace. What was Isaiah trying to say? Isaiah was trying to communicate that God wants to give you a double portion of peace. He wants to give you a completeness, a wholeness that goes beyond the things going on around you. He wants to give you peace, shalom, shalom, not just shalom. He wants to give you shalom, shalom. He wants to give you peace on top of peace. He wants to give you peaceful peace. How good is that? And by the way, peace is not just silence or tranquility. Peace is not just your kids are not fighting in the basement. Now, some of you would be like, well, I want that peace, though. And, and God's peace and my kids not fighting in the basement are kind of the same thing to me. I get it. I'm with you. Right? But, but that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about God's peace, and it's shalom, shalom. It is, it is peace that transcends the stuff that's happening in your world around you. So a lot of you know this, uh, but this year has been the worst of my life. I haven't sugarcoated it for people. When people ask how I'm doing, um, I, overall, I'm doing pretty good, honestly. But I will tell them, worst year of my life. I'll just say it out loud because that's the truth. It's been the worst year of my life. Like, just to put it in perspective, like most of my years would be over here. They'd be good. And then 2020 was kind of down the scale just a little bit. Last year was down the scale a little bit for me because I couldn't be with people. And like, it just wasn't a good year. It was, I would say, honestly, until this year, uh, all my years are here. And then 2020 was like here. But I didn't realize it was going to be a cakewalk compared to 2021 for me. 2021 has been the worst year of my life by far. And it's not even that it's close. Like 2021 is over here on the scale for me. Where 2020 was, I, I've moved 2020 over to this way, actually. Okay, 2020 was not that bad, comparatively, for me. And then all the other years are over here. I've had more grief, more tears, more pain, more suffering, more conflict, more stress, and more doubt than I've ever had in my entire life. Probably combined. And you guys know, I've tried to be very vulnerable and transparent with that, with you. I've cried in front of you guys a lot this year, more than I ever have. The reason I bring that up is to say this. I can honestly tell you that I have experienced probably more of God's peace in my life this year than I have in any other year. And just so that we're clear, that's not because life is going well right now. It sucks. It's because God has given His peace 
to me, sometimes it's been in moments when I've read, been reading the Bible. Sometimes it's been when I was praying. Sometimes it was just when I was by myself, sitting, crying. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't tell this to first service. I don't know why, but um, it's not in my notes. Good thing is, when I get off my notes, what's, you know what's cool about that? You guys have no clue. <laughs> when I'm way off, doesn't matter because you don't see my notes. <laughs> I've been off a few times already today. I was just talking with my son, Jackson, my oldest son, Jackson, in the car. Uh, I think this was Friday. And he brought up something about Christmas that my dad was always really a part of. And it was hard, but I can just tell you that God's peace settled in the vehicle as I talked to my son about how I felt about it, how it hurt, and how I'm excited that he brought it up and that we could talk about it out loud. And God's peace was just, it just filled the space. Talking to a teenage son. Who knew? God wants to give you shalom. Perfect peace. And it doesn't pertain to what's going on around you. In fact, I love what Craig Rochelle says. He says this. He says, peace isn't found in the absence of problems, but peace is found in the presence of God. Oh, church, and when I say church, I mean you, all of you. My hope, my prayer for you is that you would come to experience and know the depth of that. That peace is not found. It can't be found in the absence of problems. It can only be found in the presence of God. Because you'll never be free from trouble in this life. You, you cannot escape it. Uh, in fact, let me, just, let me just ask you this, okay? How many of you would raise your hand and say, I know somebody who has had literally no problems ever in life? Nobody? No takers? You know why? I know, I know I can do this, and my hand has to be down as well, right? Because it doesn't exist. That person does not exist. We all have trouble. Jesus himself said it. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, because what? What does he say? I've overcome the world. So the question becomes, well, how? How do you get God's peace? How do you experience the peace of God? How can you gain this amazing, perfect peace, shalom, shalom, that God has promised to you? He's promised it, so you know it's true. So how do you gain it? How do you get it? Well, I want to talk about that. You know where the battle for peace starts for human beings? As soon as I say it, you're going to know it. The battle for peace in your life starts here. You realize that, don't you? The battle for peace in your life begins here. It begins in your mind. It begins in your thought life. It starts there. If you win this battle, then God can break through with his peace. And he's powerful enough, but will you allow him? See, because in here is our inner story. In here is what we tell ourselves is true, whether it's true or not. In here is where we believe we're better than everybody else or we don't measure up to anybody else. 
In here is where we believe in God and we trust in his promises or we don't. In fact, let me give you one of the most insidious lies that Satan, the thief of this world, has, has told you. There are a lot of followers of Christ who believe in the promises of God for everybody else, but have a hard time believing in those same promises of God for themselves. I, have, I know a lot of people who will pray God's blessings and prayers on other people, but don't believe that God can do it for them. They're too bad, or they're too good, or they're not bad enough, and so God's not going to notice. See how insidious this inner story is? And so, how do we win this battle? Well, Let's go back to the same verse I just read, Isaiah 26.3. Let's look at it again. What does it say? It says, you, God, will keep in perfect peace, shalom, shalom, all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. Fixed. It's a very strong word. In the NIV, the New International Version, this is the NLT, in the NIV it says, on those whose thoughts are steadfast on you. In the King James Version and the English Standard Version, it says those whose thoughts are stayed on you. Stayed, steadfast, fixed. It's all saying the same thing. Our thoughts need to be lined up and focused on Jesus. In fact, the Apostle Paul backs this very same idea up. He's right in line with the Old Testament. Listen to what he says in Philippians 4.8. Fix your thoughts. Huh, interesting. We heard that just a moment ago, right? In the Old Testament, written 700 years before this. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Huh. Just so that we're clear, TikTok's not in there. Mm, yes? Hmm? TikTok's not on the list. Nor is most things that we spend a lot of our time on. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Then, in verse 9, the Apostle Paul tells us what will happen if we fix our thoughts on God, on Jesus, on things that are admirable. He says, then the God of peace will be with you. Do you want God to be with you? Do you want peace? Then you need God's presence because God's peace and God's presence, they go hand in hand. And God can't be with you unless you fix your thoughts on God. If you fix your thoughts on him, the promise is then the God of peace will be with you. You want God with you? Put your thoughts on him. In fact, side note, question again. I'm off, but it's okay. What are your thoughts actually fixed on in life? What do you think about all the time? What do you worry about all the time? What drives you crazy all the time? What makes you worried all the time? What are you fixing your thoughts on? In fact, this is interesting. But if you go to that Isaiah passage, the original Hebrew, again, I know I've done a lot of original Hebrew today, right? But the original Hebrew word for fixed or steadfast or stayed, the original Hebrew word is samak, 
Not as in, I smack you across the face. Samak, all right? The, the Hebrew word is samak. And what it literally translates to mean is when you lean, that you would lean on something. Like that you would put your whole weight against something, a wall or, or railing or, or somebody. That you would put your, your full weight, that you would support yourself on that. That's what samak means, to lean against, to support yourself against it. So literally what this is translating to mean is that you would lean your thoughts, your mind, that you would give your thoughts support, that it would be given over, that it would be supported, the weight, the, the burden, the anxiety, whatever is going on, that you would hand it over and that you would rest it, that you would lean it against Jesus. Why? In order to have peace. Let me try to give an illustration of this. Uh, how many of you have ever done, uh, experienced one of these two things? Uh, maybe you were on a hike or you were over at an overlook or something like that and you went to lean against a railing, right, with your hip or your hand and, and the railing moved a little bit, right? Or you went to sit down in a chair and the chair wobbled a little bit. Don't you love those chairs, Right? How many of you experienced a chair that wobbles like that? How many of you like when your pastor dances in front of you in church? All right. I don't know what kind of dance this is, but. All right. I, just, just raising your hands. How many of you experienced that, that you've leaned against a railing that was wobbly or a, a chair that you felt like might collapse? Okay. Most of us in here. Okay. Let me, let me ask you this question. When that happened, when you felt that railing move, when you felt that chair give a little bit or almost fall, let me ask you this. How did you feel? How did you feel? Did you feel more confident, more strong? Did you sit down on the chair as hard as you could at the second time? Did you lean more heavily on the railing? No, you didn't. How did you feel? I know how you felt because I've had that experience. I felt uneasy. I felt uncertain. I felt insecure. Even a little bit fearful of what was going to happen if I leaned too heavily on that railing or sat down too hard on that chair. I was uneasy, uncertain, insecure, a little bit fearful. Do you see what happens when you lean on things that are less than Jesus? It wobbles. You're going to fall over. In fact, we do this all the time, though, guys. We don't fix our thoughts on Jesus. You know what we do? We fix our thoughts on everything else, wobbly railings, shaky chairs all the time. Let me give you some examples. Put them in front of you, okay? These are some examples. I know I'm digging in now. Some of you are like, CNN is the greatest thing that's ever happened to our planet. Some of you are like, no, it's not. It's evil. Fox News, though, is the greatest thing that's ever happened to our planet. Good for you. I covered both sides of the aisle. Woohoo! Neither one's good, right? Social media, yeah, don't get me started, right? Money. Okay, let me, let, in fact, let me just ask you this question, and you don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to get involved. I just want you to be honest with yourself and honest with God on this, okay? Not, seriously, consider this question. I've asked this before. It bears repeating again. I'm going to ask it a hundred more times before I'm dead, right? How many of you 
watch this stuff, spend time on this stuff, worry about this stuff, think about this stuff, do work in these kinds of things, scroll on these things, watch this stuff. How many of you, when you have spent time, whether it's 15 minutes or two hours on these things, how many of you walk away from that and just more at peace, glorious joy and peace, walking away and going, man, I feel the fullness of God now. Heck no, you don't. I know, I'm not even going to answer that silly, stupid question with an answer because we all know the answer to that. I know you don't walk away with peace. In fact, you know what I, wa- you know, I know you walk away with? You walk away with less peace. You know why? Because CNN and Fox News, you know what they're doing? They're selling bad to you. You know why they sell bad? Because we buy bad. Everybody has to see the person that got pulled over for speeding because we have a weird infatuation with bad. And we want to see who messed up. And it makes us feel better about ourselves. At least I didn't get caught. I was only going seven over. Shouldn't have been going ten. Right? That's what we think. And so this, social media, oh, I said don't get me started, but I need to, right? You know what, how you lose peace on social media? Because every time you go on social media, you compare yourself to everybody you see. You forget when you see that family that always is perfect. Like they're always, don't you just, oh, you look at those families and you're like, oh, always perfect. Ah. Right? Now, you probably don't say it out loud because you're just sitting here gleefully doing this, losing peace as you go. Peace is just leaking out. Uh, oh, she looks so awesome. Bless peace. Why? Because we're comparing ourselves to everybody else and we forget the fact that right before that picture, they said, stand up straight. Make sure you smile. And they were fighting five minutes before over the truck that both boys wanted, right? We forget that. They didn't take a picture of that on social media because who wants to see that? I go to that for, I go to CNN and Fox News for that. I don't need that on social media. When we lean on other things for peace in our life, you're going to get exactly what it's offering. The opposite. You'll get the opposite. So I love, uh, there's this moment in the New Testament that's recorded in the book of Mark, chapter 4. And Jesus and the disciples, they're in the middle of the lake, and a huge storm comes up. A lot of you know this story, right? And Jesus and the disciples are in, the, in, the, in this boat in the middle of the lake, and the storm comes up, wind, waves, maybe thunder and lightning. We don't know. It doesn't say thunder and lightning, but we usually put thunder and lightning in there, right? But there's this major storm, and the wind is whap, hitting the waves against the boat, and the boat is kind of filling with water. It's starting to sink. The disciples are freaking out. They can't swim, probably most of them. Maybe none of them can. And so they're freaking out. They're in the middle of the lake. They're a long ways from land. This is it for them. They think they're done. They're going to die. This is it right? And so they're scared. And so they decide that they need to go wake Jesus up because what's Jesus doing in the middle of the store? I don't know if he snored, but you understand. He's sleeping. He's sleeping in the back of the boat during the storm. And the disciples, I'm sure, are wondering, like, Jesus, we're in the the fight of our life here. We're in the middle of this storm and you're sleeping? So they wake Jesus up, and they say, Jesus, you need to save us. This storm is going to kill us. It's going to sink us. And I love 
I don't usually read from the King James Version, but I love what the King James Version says that Jesus says in this moment. He gets up. Can you imagine like Jesus like, you know, kind of just scratching the kinks out, kind of playing it up a little bit? Disciples are freaking out and he's like, guys, we got this. And Jesus steps out and he says very simply, peace, be still. Peace, be still. Peace, be still. I think Jesus calmed two storms that day, in that moment. I think Jesus calmed the one that we all know, the one that was physical, the one that was raging in the outside of everything happening, the outside world, everything that was going on, the wind, the waves, everything you could see, Jesus calmed that storm. But then I think Jesus calmed another set of storms that we don't think about. It was the storms that were going on up here and in here inside of each disciple. You understand that the storm was raging on the outside, but there was a storm raging on the inside of each one of them. And Jesus calmed the inner storm, the inner story, the mind, the thought problem. Because why? Because peace. The kind of peace that God gives is in the midst of the storm. It's when you're in the storm, when you're going through the storm, when life is not good around you, God still wants to give you shalom, shalom, double portion of peace, perfect peace. I want to finish by sharing an example of this. So a lot of you already know this because of social media. But Laura and I have some friends uh, from North Dakota days when I was on staff at a church there in North Dakota. Uh, Their last name are the Waitmans. They're the Waitmans, the Waitman family. And it was just over a week ago now that uh, they're a family of six. Four of them were in the vehicle traveling somewhere, and they had a horrible accident, rolled the vehicle. Three out of the four that were in the vehicle were serious, very seriously injured, uh, but none more so than their youngest son, Finn, who's eight. Um, thousands of people prayed for Finn because... They got him to the hospital. He was still alive when they got to the hospital and they put a shunt in, all this stuff. Thousands of people have been praying for Finn. But tragically, a couple of days after the accident, Finn died. Eight-year-old Finn passed away. We have a picture of the family just so you can kind of understand who I'm talking about. Finn is there on the left. My left, your right. They're going through a storm right now. A significant one. Not unlike what some of you, I see your faces and I know you've gone through similar storms this year as well. I've shared that I've gone through 
a bit of a storm this year. But the reason I bring the Waitmans up is because I want to share the post that Ricky and Becca, those are the parents, Ricky and Becca, there you see them in the back of the picture, strong, strong followers of Christ, strong Christians. They center everything in their life on Jesus. And Ricky and Becca put a post up six days ago now, so this was probably one to two days after Finn had died. And I, I will warn you that um, there's no swear words in this, but it gets fairly intense, some of the language that he uses. Again, it's nothing you're going <laughs> to... You're going to laugh because it's not going to sound intense for the rest of the world, but for church it's a little, hmm. And I've decided not to filter it at all. I'm just going to read it as they wrote it, directly, completely, word for word. Because what he writes is good and hard and powerful and applies to everything we've just talked about. So this is what Ricky and Becca wrote. As many of you know, <clears throat> we've been dealing with a tragic accident over the last few days. Sadly, Finn didn't make it. Sadly isn't a strong enough word. There are many other synonyms or expletives I could choose. Lots of you have been reaching out and praying for us. Thank you. One of Finn's favorite things to do was to be told a story. I have a couple of stories to honor him with. This story is about a boy. This boy was specifically designed by God to change the world. He was God's warrior. He would have been on God's SEAL Team 6. <laughs> I love that. Everything this boy did, he did as unto the Lord. He never held anything back and strived to be the best at it. School, sports, serving, loving, every time, everything was 100%. Tragically, eight years into his mission to change the world, it was cut short. The boy was so driven and wanted to complete his so badly that he came up with a plan. If his mission gets cut short, he'll leave pieces of him behind so that his mission gets carried on. Other people will use those pieces of him to continue to change the world. Although this boy's race mission has finished, the goal will carry on through his gifts. This next story is about a family. This family made it their whole life purpose to serve people, love people, and show people who Jesus is. They were doing their best, the best they could, and were doing a decent job at it. One day, a thief, by the way, when he says thief, he means Satan. He means the devil of this world. He means evil. Just so that we're clear, when he says thief, he means Satan. One day, a thief saw the family. He was jealous of their efforts. And his only goal in life was to steal, kill, and destroy. 
he came up with a plan to try to stop this family from their purpose. The thief stole their youngest son. He was sure that this would derail them, destroy them even. Little did the thief know this family was stronger than he could imagine. This family was created by the God of the universe for their purpose. Their work will be completed. All this thief did was wake a sleeping giant. All this family, although this family is hurting bad, they will get through the hurt. They will grow their strengths, refine their mission, and multiply their efforts. What the thief meant to be used for evil will be turned on him and expanded for good. This family was confused, hurting, and even a bit angry with God. But they were pissed at the thief. That's in capital letters, by the way. They made it their new purpose to take every opportunity to foil the thief's plans, thief's plans in attempts at destruction for other people around the world. This family will not only get through the hurt, they will grow and thrive through the pain, and that's what they did. We love you and feel your prayers. We know a lot of you are hurting and broken as well. Understand the mission. Join us in it. Let's honor Finn by changing the world. Every day, find an opportunity to make a difference. It doesn't have to be a big life-changing moment. Just pick up trash. Compliment a stranger. Do it all 100%. Do it all as unto the Lord. To Finn. We love you. You are always with us. You're the man and my little buddy. To the thief, suck it. We're coming. I love how he ends that, by the way. You understand that the thief of this world is here and he's alive and well and he's trying to do everything he can to kill you, to destroy you, to kill your hope, to take your joy, to steal your peace, to make you feel that you are never going to be worthy, that you're never going to measure up, that your pain is always going to be there and that it's because God doesn't love you. And it couldn't be further from the truth. The thief wants to steal, kill, and destroy just as the Waitman family wrote. It's true. They're going through the storm on the outside. The storm is raging on the outside. But can you tell from this post? They're ticked. They're angry. They, they hate it. They're upset. It's not that they wanted Finn to leave. But it's that they are at peace with their God, who they know loves them and is walking through this with them. I didn't tell this to first service either. You guys are getting all kinds of things for free today. I went on social media last night to, to make sure I had the words right. And I found another video that somebody posted just last night. The celebration of life service for Finn was, they, they live in Colorado now, and so it was at their home. And the video is from somebody that was there, and it just shows Ricky and Becca, the parents, with their hands out and open as they were singing the song, I Speak Jesus. 
They're not okay that Finn is gone. Their family went from six to five. They're not okay with that. God didn't want that. The thief did. And they are clear that they're not okay with it, but they're good with God, and God is good with them. And they are moving forward, and they have already, let me tell you, Finn's army is what they're calling it. Finn's army is out and doing all, all kinds of amazing things already. It's been seven days. Peace. God wants to give you peace in the midst of the storm. He wants to give you peace inside when the world outside is raging like crazy. Let me ask you, what has the thief done to you to steal your peace and your joy? Don't let him do it. Don't let him win. Don't let Satan beat you. If you do, you give him the power. Why would you do that? Why would you let Satan have power over you? He can't have power. You understand that Satan is powerful, but he's not powerful over you. He's only powerful over you if you let him. If you open the door and let Satan walk in, then he will. I promise you he will. And God says, don't let him in. Close the door. Keep Satan at bay. Fix your thoughts on me. Why do you let Satan into your life? He will only mess you up. God's peace. God's peace. It's what we all want. It's what we all need. That's my hope. That's my heartbeat. That's my prayer. That's God's prayer for you. As you experience the true peace, perfect peace, shalom, shalom that God offers. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, for anyone in here, whether they're in this room or they're online, no matter who they are, if they're listening right now, I pray if there's anybody in here who has allowed Satan, allowed the thief of this world to steal and kill and destroy anything in their life, I pray against Satan in the name of Jesus. In their mind, in their thoughts, in their soul, in their heart, I pray against them in the name of Jesus. Jesus, would you wash over them and may your power take over so that Satan is no longer a part of their life, their family, their marriage, their parenting, their job, their neighborhood. Nothing is involved in their life from the thief. I pray against it in the name of Jesus. I pray for shalom, shalom, peace, peace, perfect peace that pushes out fear, that pushes out anxiety, that pushes out shame. May you rule and reign with peace in our life. Help us to fix our thoughts on you so that we can experience the fullness of your presence and the peace that comes with it. We pray this and ask this in your matchless, amazing name. In the name of Jesus.
Amen.